The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Hello everyone, my name is Rodi Khamis. I work in Mirath. My name is Irene Catalunya. I am working with Food for the Hungry Cambodia. I'm Nathan Sharkar. I work for Baptist World in Australia office in Bangladesh. I am Dana. I'm responsible for program work at UMN, United Mission to Nepal. My name is Taos Motuku in Kenya. The whole world right now is facing this crisis, this coronavirus. Actually, life in Kenya has greatly changed. We are fearing that people might start dying of anger, but not die of coronavirus because lockdown means no work, no income for them. And no income means no food, no security, no future. They are quarantined, yes, uh, it's good, but there is no alternative. How can they feed their children and feed themselves? This is our global reality right now. The whole world is suffering. This is the biggest humanitarian crisis since World War II. So what can we do? And what are we doing? Back in 2012, we went to Cambodia. Part of what we were doing there was to have a look at some communities where we were planning to start doing what we call then child-centered community development. This place was so inaccessible, this village we went into. You know that things aren't healthy when people, they look sideways at you, but they can't even raise a smile. It was just, a place where there was complete hopelessness is probably the best way to describe it. They talked about other NGOs having travelled there in the past, spending a little bit of time giving up and moving on. So we're trying to project hope that we're here to start a, a project, a new child-centred community development project, and they looked at us as if to say, well, you're welcome, but we don't expect much. One of the things that's so exciting about most of our programs around the world is that the results are virtually predictable. Even when you start in this village that's in such bad shape and the people really struggling, it's about empowering the kids, but it's also through those kids as great change agents, empowering the whole community, the mums and dads and everybody in that community. And that's what exactly has happened over the last eight years to a point where only a few weeks ago they had a graduation ceremony for the completion of this project. Now the kids are getting schooled, some of them are seeing opportunities for further education, they've been able to improve access into their village, they've learnt a lot about uh, cropping and they're feeding themselves with nourishing food. Uh, the parents largely all have decent livelihoods now. Uh, all sorts of different mini economies are developing. So even in this time of COVID, the amount of infection has been extremely low in that area, uh, with these kids now understanding that they are agents of change and they are empowered and they can do things. That's what we're all about. How do we affect change in the best way? So there's two sides of that. One side is really working with all our supporters in our churches, not only in Australia, but around the world, particularly the Western world, to really get the essence of what Jesus has called us together into here. Jesus walked alongside the marginalized, the vulnerable and the poor. The Je Jesus did not 
try to sit in power, he sat in love and grace for those that were suffering and struggling the most. And we see that as a core part of our mission to act that out, to understand that that's part of our lives as Christians, is to get that and participate in that process of change. So that's one side of the ledger. The other side of the ledger, seeking to empower people from hopelessness to hope and to really take on for themselves a future that they couldn't dream of. Like anything else, when you give hope and empowerment to people, they help each other. There is this sense of togetherness in the journey out of poverty and vulnerability and people working together for that. What we're trying to do is put them in a position where they find their strengths, they use them and they share them. That is exactly what our work is all about. As these people become empowered, what they're doing starts to spread out into wider districts. So we're not even involved. Our partner may not be involved, but people see the success here and they want to be a part of it. And these people become the teachers of this new generation of villages and communities that want to participate. It's not just about taking the dollars here and doing a program in the field. It is about that whole ecosystem of change. It's empowering these people to work out what they can do and keep doing it long after we've gone. I really want to thank all our supporters. I'm humbled every time I meet people who have been following our work and supporting it for 20, 30, 40 years. It's just amazing. But we have a journey still to go, a big journey. In fact, COVID, is for the first time in about 30 years where poverty has actually got worse around the world. We've got a big task ahead of us, but it's not just about money. It is about all of us together speaking up and speaking out for the poor. We actually want to be in this together, committed, passionate, not just a transactional relationship, but as followers of Jesus together, participating in making the case and acting out for huge change for vulnerable people around the world. Pray, speak, be generous, love each other, show grace, think about those people that might not be near to us but can really go through huge change through our support. And the message is actually about doing uh, justice and mercy. 
I'm going to be looking at my six days, but I'm going to spread a whole lot of other things in there as, uh, as we go along as well. Uh, and with that just for all day, our big aim is to see a better world for all. And that's what we're speaking to a little bit more. And I was just thinking as uh, we got the first PowerPoint up, I was just thinking also as um, um, that new chorus, the author of creation, just ties in it, you know, with my opening today. I just love how God works too, how he just weaves things in. Uh, even when we don't talk about things, he's got the bigger plan and he knows. He knows so much. I just also want to just give a warm welcome from um, my home church at the moment. It's up on the sunny coast. Um, and um, Dan Harding, the pastor up there at uh, Melbourne Plains, uh, also wishes when I go around just to pass on warm greetings from his church. Um, we're in the middle of the church build as well in the middle of COVID, so exciting and pressuring times for him. Um, but before um, I was up at Meridian, I used to be a pastor at the same time at River Life Church. And I only left there around about 20 months, but two boys were still very actively involved there. And um, it was through that church where I got to really ingrain myself in a lot of missional work. I actually used to volunteer for Baptist World Aid, actually going back 16, 17 years ago. But it was first introduced in 41 years ago when we used to do what we call SAO conference. In those days, you might have heard of that, that was really support an orphan, um, which you can't do now. Um, that's why the word that Then it became for an opportunity. And I got so entrenched in what Baptist World Aid did that I started to. Uh, you know, volunteer, as I said, 16 years ago when I was in the business world, and I even led people over to Uganda and Kenya to visit um, a lot of children if you can't do that. But that was a very big turning point for me because it gave me a real understanding of what Baptist World Aid actually did, how community development projects actually work. And there is nothing more exciting than when and I know a lot of you in this church will be familiar with the profile. There's nothing more rewarding than actually having this on your feet and actually going over to meet the face that sits on your feet held on by a fixed magnet. And I got that opportunity from 16, 17 years ago to meet two of my sponsor children in the middle of Uganda and Kenya. And to see the love of Jesus, to see their smiles, to see the gratitude, to actually meet their families to see the programs working was something that I'll never forget and changed my life up in forever. I've also been blessed to actually work in many other countries with other organizations with missions. I've done work in Turkey, as I said, in Africa in a few places, but also in China and um, the Philippines. Uh, I've managed to be blessed to get around to see some of these places. And the one consistent thing is that with poverty, you can break it, you can change it. And you can see the difference on kids' faces and families when you actually take the time to build relationships and be the hand of the Jesus. But I just want to start off with this verse. I was, I was um, standing of a little headland or a little point of rock this afternoon. It was down at Dickie Beach. Some of you might know that. The corner of Dickie and Moffat was a little rocky outcrop. And I was just sitting there and I was just looking out. There was a couple of ships. There was a reef breaking. The surf was up. 
There's this rainbow that turns, the rain has stopped. And actually, one of my boys went in. And we're just having a chat, and I get off the phone, I'm just looking at everything around me. I did like that song we sang before. Well, two of the songs It is well with my soul happened to be one of my favourite things. And, you know, the story, and I would urge, um, as was mentioned, to look up the history behind it. It's a fabulous story. A sad story, a tragic story. And here we are. I'm on the beach, I'm looking out there, and the waves are deep. The clouds have just gone. And we're living in a world at the moment where there is uncertainty. And in that uncertainty, we can find rest for our souls. In that uncertainty, God's just a bigger plan, a bigger picture. And as I was sitting there looking out there, I was actually thinking of the verse that I was going to actually put up on the screen to start uh, today on. And the verse just simply says this. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11. And as a little kid, when I was growing up, I remember looking at this verse just pondering and thinking, what does it really mean? And by the way, before I read it, you know, as I'm standing there with everything going on, I'm thinking about this part of the balance. And we sang about it earlier on. It's the awesome creation. And this part of the balance, as you know, as we're standing here sitting, or we're sitting here in this church right now, as I'm standing here, we're actually moving um, a thousand, um, well, it's 460 meters per second, actually. It's a thousand miles per hour. We're actually traveling around the sun. And yet we, we don't stop to think of that often we miss those things. He's the author of creation. And this verse here, 3, 11, 3, 3, it simply says this, He has made everything, everything beautiful in its time. Now notice it doesn't say something, but just the Garden of Eden. It's actually everything beautiful in its time. And He's also said eternity and it's human heart. And yet nobody can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can also read that as what God is doing from beginning to end. You see, God has so many wonderful plans for humanity and His kingdom, and He wants us to be involved in it. You see, everyone in this room right here, right now, everybody that you meet in the streets, when you go home to have Father's Day lunch, or whatever it might look like, we all have an incredible part to play in God's kingdom. The last 18 months since COVID has hit has actually changed the world. And that video that we just saw, that was uh, John Hickey, he was our CEO, he's unfortunately said that see him move on, but um, God's given him another role somewhere else, but he's been with us for about 13 years. And as he's mentioned, poverty in itself has, has suddenly changed, it's just different, and I thought I'd show a slide in a moment. But here at Baptist World Aid, as I started off, we're, we're looking at how can we create a better world for all. And I hope this morning to very quickly take you through some of the projects that we do. So a lot of people think we just do child sponsorship and community project development, and that might be it. Some of you might know we also do 
and disaster management around the world. A lot of people don't realize that we work uh, with advocacy and refugees and the refugee crisis happening around the world. And in Isaiah 43, 19, we also read, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. I will make a way. What that verse is basically saying is, you know, no matter what happens in the wilderness or the desert, God will still make a way. I don't know if any of you watch SPS. I would guarantee that probably most people over 50 do it sometime. And um, the news at 6.30, 2013, they used to put this caption before the news actually started. And it just simply read this, that um, there are 7.3 billion stories to be told. And again, I used to be fascinated with this little caption. I used to look at it and go, okay, 7.3 billion stories. What are they talking about? Obviously, the population of the world. But I again didn't say the 4 billion stories or 3 billion or 5 billion. It was fully inclusive. And I think that's a, that's a really important point to make. No one is left out. Nobody is left out. Every story is valuable. Every story is special. And that includes everyone in this room right now. We all have a story to tell. I have my own story. I know Mark has his own story. Every story is watched lovingly and carefully by our Heavenly Father, and everyone is precious in His heart. I don't want to dive around too much, but I want to flip back to creation and, and, and Genesis, where God saw that it was good. And God created the heavens and the and the stars and the planets, and then he creates the earth. And then he wants to fill the earth and separate the void. And there's light, there's day, there's water, there's sky, and then there's animals. And then the pinnacle of his creation was man, making man in his own likeness, where it God says. The things have changed a little bit, hasn't it, over the last 80 months or three years? And as John Higgins said in that video, um, it's probably something that none of us have really experienced in our lifetime. The world has changed, has changed dramatically. I spoke to Mark earlier just some of the challenges that we have as pastors in churches. It's not just pastors, it's people who run business, it's schools, it's universities, hospitals, how we travel. But we don't travel now. So we've had to rethink things, and this has obviously changed the world from a global perspective when it comes to poverty. It is estimated right now that um, through um, what has just happened, that there's another 150 million people that have actually been pushed into extreme poverty. John Hickey mentioned on the video just a moment ago that we were actually breaking the cycle of poverty, and that might seem to be a bit of a strange thing to say. A lot of people ask me, well, how can you really break poverty in third world countries? How can you break poverty even in your own backyard here in Australia? Well, the answer is you can. And I can go through some of the processes. And before COVID uh, actually hit, 
as though the poverty the sentence level is actually diminishing in the world. Now, obviously, it's here and things have changed dramatically, and we're sort of pushing a, a wheelbarrow up our hill all of a sudden. And we've had to recreate things like churches and business like to do things differently. We have had to do the same thing. It is estimated at the mind story that out of you know, close to 8 billion people in the world now, that there's at least 3 billion people that actually still don't even have reliable water access. They don't have soap for hydrating, and the list goes on. And for us to sit in here, it's sometimes very, very hard to understand that, and it actually takes a while for us to actually contribute because we have so much of it. One of the things that I did when I was um, a younger dad, um, I really encouraged kids, my kids, with mission. Um, and I must admit, if you ever get a chance when the bikes finally open up and you can travel overseas, or even if it's inland here, um, if they're in communities, show your kids that life is life and some of these patients. Give them that experience and change, even if it's just a short term thing. Tell them the stories. Because there is another world out there. I remember my daughter um, very quickly packing her bags and running off to Africa to do some mission work and coming back with her instead. God laid on her heart and they like to have her, but to one day do full time work in Africa where the husband was a pastor for many years. And my two boys have been um, very much tied up in mission as well. And it's just something that I would really, really encourage so that they can get a better understanding of what is happening out there with humanity. I'd like us just to stop now for a couple of minutes. Probably only about a minute and a half. One of the things I just want to introduce in the middle of this, and I weaved it in because of what has just happened, is Afghanistan. And then at the very bottom, and what I'd encourage you to do, if you ever get the chance to do these things, just jump to the website, have a look at what we do, because um, the more you dig, the more you find, the more uh, ideas and opportunities and exciting things that uh, we have there for you. So we have our advocacy arm, which is down in um, Sydney, and they work in Canberra, they work with the politicians, they work with churches all over Australia, and one of the ideas is that they give us the tools and they equip churches with resources and avenues for us to have a voice for those that are vulnerable, who cannot speak, who cannot talk, who cannot think for themselves. And right now, as we prayed for just a moment ago, um, What's unfolding in Afghanistan is actually very alarming. Um, obviously, we do this. We see it on the news and we know that this is But it's, it's the women and children. It's those who are displaced. But we don't just stop and pray for them. We need to pray for those on the ground. And uh, it was great to see the prayer before just praying for our partner groups that we have on the ground. We can't give out names, of course, because of security reasons, but we know um, internally um, the torment and the danger, the things that they have to do, not, not just during the day, it's day and night, it's 24-7, the unpredictability. And we've just run a, uh, we have a disaster win as well, and we've actually just run a um, campaign 
that is going out to all Baptist churches across Australia. Started last week, um, and I know most Queensland Baptists were contacted last week. Just you guys get to be encouraged to pray. But another thing too is to jump on our website. There's a little link there if you look under the latest. You can actually follow that, and it will take you to this little page where you can advocate. You can have a voice. All you do is put in your postcode and it comes up with your local politician with a standalone letter. It is created and put together for you, appealing to your local parliamentarian, but also nationally um, when it comes to our own parliament down in Canberra uh, to get to the right people to, to speak out for these people. A little comment line and things that we can add. So that's something that we can do just immediately uh, if you wish to. But I'd like to just stop for about 30 seconds. I put some prayer points there. Look, I've, I've got the paper um, uh, piece, paper compassion, paper protection. Pray also for provision. That's not, not just the food and the shelter. One of the biggest provision um, elements with um, federal projects, obviously, at the moment, is the COVID question and, and, and how is that going to be? The, uh, the PPE equipment that is needed. But we need to pray also for wisdom for our global leaders and comfort for the Australians here in so for Afghanistan and Korea in Australia. And there's, there's lots of Afghanistan communities around the place. And, some of the churches I know of have actually really connected just, uh, just to pray with them. To just be with them. So, look, I'd like to just take pray about 30 seconds now just to go our heads and just our own silent prayer. We can pray with the person next to you. Let's just spend some time with some Now talk a little bit more with the development projects and then give you the bigger picture in Canberra and where it last year. I put this little slide up here because at the moment a lot of people don't realise, like I said earlier, what we might do. A lot of people aren't even aware that Australian Baptist Survey is the biggest Baptist international aid organisation in the world. And we have a, a very far, wide, and Huge reach where we actually equip other countries all over the world and um, resources, working with their government. It's not just happening here in Australia. We have this incredible network of people. And we also work in a huge uh, number of countries around the world, and that does change on a very regular basis, basically um, due to the need. At the moment, there's 20 countries that we're working in. Um, countries such as Nepal, Africa, um, in Africa we're in Uganda, Malawi, in the United Kingdom, depending on 
that opens up what closes. We're working in Bangladesh, Cambodia, Philippines, Sri Lanka. And we also get, and I just like how God works with mission because we work with missionaries all around the world as well where we can. We work with Christian partners on the ground. And a lot of people will say, well, how does it work if there's a community development? Do you train people up here? Do you send them over? And we go, no. We work with the local people. Contextualization, we want to make sure that we build strong relationships with them, empower them, equip them. And then they work directly in with local evangelical churches that we hook up with them. And, and, and so it's a really cool model which I'll go into a little bit more detail later on about works. But also with refugee camps, I just came off a women's conference. I don't know if anybody here went to the women's conference last week for Mapleton um, with Queensland Baptist Women, uh, 175 Mapleton. Those women have been supporting the women in Syria, the refugee camps. Uh, has, um, who have fled with their children and we've been doing work over there extensively for 18 months in the And I'd love to share those stories today, but I don't have time. But what's happening there and just the warm pain, the trauma, the sadness, the things that they've been conflicted with, with our Christian partner on the ground has been given shelter, food, education. They're actually protecting the children. They're getting the gospel. And a lot of these kids and a lot of these women have actually lost husbands or their mums and dads. I want to thank this church personally because behind me this little picture and I talk about these countries and projects. This church actually, um, you guys are amazing. Not only do you financially support us in different ways, I know you stand together with us in prayer and prayer is the most powerful thing. And in this church line, there's 34 children around the world that is actually sponsored from this church to back to school days. And the biggest thing, like I said, I've met my sponsored children and some of them overseas. Keep praying for them. Keep supporting them. Keep encouraging them. We get the chance to lie to them. And even that in itself has a experience. And during these trips that I said that I've had, my life changed in many different ways. And I thought of the word gratitude. The people of kids that I met have gratitude all over them. Nothing prepares you when you go out to a third world country and one of your children just wants to stop and pray for you. And they just smile when you suddenly realize they have nothing. But when you can give them some hope, everything changes. And gratitude is a fascinating little word. And the simple dictionary definition of gratitude is to have quality of being thankful and a readiness. A readiness to show appreciation and for and to return kindness. And that's what I experienced. I experienced this kindness and this, this joy that was given back to me from these little kids and these families that had nothing. And I can't think of a better time to be ready and be proactive have been now the last few years, and I know this is possible. And to give into your community, to love your neighbour, and to love yourself. I'll just mention that verse to you, Matthew 12, 30, 31. 
I love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That's the second commandment. And it says, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than that. Now, I'm not saying, I want you to really understand that I'm not just talking about our sins. With all these principles and all these things and these instructions and these things that Jesus has taught us what to do is to be around that gallery. And I'm challenged too, you know, to look at my back gallery. Do I pray for my neighbor? Do I look after my neighbor? What does it look like when I go to school or work? Do I really care? And when we look at all the challenges of this world, we, we, we can get so focused on the pain. And yet, I can stand on the beach and look at creation and go, wow, the freshness of the air and the rain just comes from God's creation. And look at some of those verses I said earlier on and His plan, His purposes. Micah 6 8 says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And this is what I love about this verse. Because what does the Lord require of you? He gives three very simple steps. As a pastor, there was a good friend of mine passed away about three years ago, and I had to do a funeral. And his wife asked me to preach on this particular verse. And I looked at it, I knew the verse, but I didn't know the word. I knew it, but I really didn't know it. In many ways, you could just keep trying to. The more I looked at this verse, this verse I thought, wow, it is so simple. It is so clear. It says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the three simple steps. Act justly to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. So what does that mean? So to walk humbly with your God is the basis for loving mercy and doing justice because of what God has done. And because of what He's done, we fully invest in healing the world around us through mercy and justice. And that is, of course, when we cultivate our walk with God. Because if we do so, it provides the power, the passion, the drive for our family to live with Him. It actually grounds us in everything we do. So secondly, God desires us to love mercy, or in some translations, the word is kindness. And there is a Hebrew word, hes, which can be used to refer to God's loving kindness to us. And it's also interesting to note that God wants us to be drawn to mercy, to have compassion for those in need. And this is not always easy for us to do when we're bombarded on the streets, the corners, or with the media, the television, with what we see in here. And sometimes it can be very easy for our hearts to become hardened. And sometimes hearts are in our minds and we can start judging. I like to say that we're doing justice. What? What is justice? Some of it, uh, some of you might be sitting here thinking right now, well, what does what does justice mean? What you know, what's it got to do with me? Isn't that something that somebody hands out 
might just fly home, drive in the middle of a fourth section for somebody who's going to fly. Or you might be thinking, well, what does justice look like you know, during the week for me? How does that do it? The very simple definition of justice is doing wrong by your fellow man. It's just doing wrong. So we all have a, a point or a time or a moment where we can make a decision and we can ask ourselves, is this doing wrong? Are we doing wrong? What does it look like? Click on this scripture slide here because I now talk about Cambodia very quickly. But I want to tell you a very short story. I know I've got lots of stories, but I hope it all ties in for you to understand um, some of the things I'm trying to just weave together here. I told you I had a bit of a missionary background. I've done a lot of missionary trips and short term, long term. One of the greatest moments of my life was my oldest son here, Sam, is that I got to take him into China. Uh, he used to go to China every second year. And that's an amazing story in itself, just how God put that together. And the reason why I tell this story now is that nothing to do with that story now. I've never been to do with that God works in missionary lives. And that is, I grew up with some missionary grandparents. My missionary grandparents were um, met together in. In, in, in Shanghai or China, uh, inland mission school, like in 1927. One came from America, one came from England. Didn't know each other. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Isabel Keen, very famous missionary in China. My grandmother looked at her and her were best friends, and they came out together. Anyway, so the story is, 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 is that they got married. About 12 months later, in another town called Kimmy, which is in the southwest of China. And they traveled down there, and um, uh, a call from God's parish to this little town called Dana, which is up towards towards the Tibetan mountains. And uh, we're there. I'll tell you the story because I just want to share um, also this little bit of scripture and just tie it in. And it's in John 4:37, where it says, "My food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work." I tell you now, open your eyes and look at the fields; they are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps pulls the wage and harvests the crop for eternal life, so that one sower and I'm sorry, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the sign. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of the labor. Now I say that for a very good reason. That little verse there, um, piece of scripture, because when I was a young child, um, my grandparents actually got chased out of China when um, communism hit, and they had to flee for their lives. I don't know if you've heard of the Moravians, but the Moravians were a group of missionaries founded a very long time ago. That uh, when you went on the mission field, they used to pack a coffin, and the coffin would go on top of the top of the fire or on top of the steeple or, um, or in the steamship, filled with their earthly uh, possessions because they believed that was a one-way trip. This was God calling for life, and that's what my grandparents believed. And um, 
Anyway, um, I got placed out of Australia and back to Australia, out of China, back to Australia. And I still remember as a young boy, my grandfather actually weeping and crying because he could not go back and then fulfill this mission that God had given him for a whole lifetime. And he, I still remember him saying that he didn't see the fruit. He didn't see lots and lots and lots of times he was coming out of what he just said. And when China did reopen, he couldn't go back to help issues. And I know it really, really destroyed that in China now. But when I went back to China 90 years later, I had his little diary with me. And in that diary, it talked about the journey, it talked about um, the mountains, the ravines, the villages, the rivers, and they, they all did it by foot and putting them into Ghana, 600 miles, and it was crazy country for him. And I thought, and I remember thinking of the way the journey, the sacrifice. And my father was born there too, and, 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 and I had all these old photos, and so I could visualize some of the stories that I was reading in my grandfather's diary. I remember the first time I went into this little town Ghana. It's an old town. It's like sort of an old ancient world. It's going all the way over. And uh, myself, I'm about 15, 1600 years old. I walk in there and I met the pastor who still ran the Bible school that my grandparents were actually involved running with Hudson Taylor 90 something years before. I sat in the church where my grandfather used to preach. I went out for uh, tea, so a tea there. And I went out one day with, um, I can't mention his name, with his beautiful Chinese pastor. And I'm sitting there and talking about my grandfather's story and, and, and through, through my interpreter. And as I was talking, there were just streams of tears rolling down his eyes when I was talking about the sacrifice. And he just simply said to me through the interpreter, it is because of your grandmother and grandfather that there are now millions and millions and millions and millions of Chinese who love the Lord Jesus Christ And it just hit me like a kind of a brick because my grandfather didn't feel that or see that. And of course it wasn't literally millions that happened while he was there. But it gets back to that piece of scripture that gets back to the sea, you know, one water, one piece of soil, one palace. I'm actually reap the rewards for others' hard work and labor. I have to talk about that because with missions in general, and doesn't matter which mission organization you support, whether it's Baptist World Aid or somebody else, God works in every dimension. And you're part of it. You're part of that plan. You're part of the process. I just want to encourage that because some of you might be sitting here today thinking that some of the work you do, even in your own backyard with your neighbors, is very insignificant. But it's not. We're all playing a major part in God's plan. And it might even can fathom what God is doing from the beginning to end of everything. Just moving on quickly, just to finish up. Um, and as, as Mark mentioned, I've got a table down there, so. Um, by all means, if you've got more questions or things you want to ask of me, please, please come. I do have Charles' Facebook group there if you're interested. Um, I do have big part of this for Christians involved in the moment. But first of all, I just want to explain how community development works and how the Charles' Facebook uh, program works. 
I think it's a really healthy model that we actually have, and I'm proud to talk about it that way because I've seen that so many times firsthand. Um, hang on, I'm going the wrong way here. Okay, so I don't want to control this for a second. I just want to talk about my trip um, a few minutes when I was in Cambodia last year. And I just got in before COVID hit. I literally started back to school day in February. My first day was in the plane with my new boss down in Cambodia. And I just another path to me a whole different family. And we took the path of there so that they could actually firsthand see how things actually operated. And I want to, this lady's name is Maria, I want to, but I took this, um, um, I want to talk about her because it's, it's, um, it's just a good picture of how it works. So when you tell uh, your child sponsorship, you are sponsoring that child. So I just want to really clarify that very clearly. You are sponsoring that child. But what we do is we actually try to get all the children within one community on the program. And 80% of that money is sponsoring that child. And a portion of it goes to actually support the mother and the child of the family unit. So I met this lady, Maria, and she had two or three children that were all sponsored through that support way. And when you sponsor a child, I've got a little picture there, and I think it's the next one, we'll go on to that one there. When you sponsor a child, these children below here, uh, not only they home, um, as far as better shelter goes, they're schooled in a better fashion, like more education. We do help them, obviously, with the um, with learning resources, um, when it comes to schooling and teaching, so the education level is at a higher level. So we take it one more step further. We want to make sure that these kids are actually nurtured in a different way to what we would think we would have These kids are actually put into what we call kids' clubs. And these kids' clubs are part of the local evangelical church, and we work with them so that they get the gospel, they get to learn how to pray, but all the things that we would learn here. But we go one more step further too. We make sure that these children, we see them as the future of their community, their country. We see them as leaders. So they taught leadership skills, how to manage themselves at a slightly higher level to what you were getting your education here. And these kids then in return become the future leaders. And that helps break the whole nine-year cycle of poverty that we talked about. So when you sponsor a child for nine years, and each child actually, or each community goes through this process so that when they get to the end of the nine years, they graduate, and then we go into the next village next year. And the funny thing is, a lot of these kids become those leaders into the next development community they get next year. And while that's happening, like this particular lady here, Maria, that I met, she was so proud of her vegetation. Now, a lot of you think that vegetation is a vegetation that is doing vegetables for many of their life or working with cattle, etc. The thing is, it's doing this project to that next level. It's not just having enough to get by for the day, it's how uh, to actually get enough to actually create your own business and to multiply your funding and through that, how to you know, um, start a micro business. We set up in each village also a little microfinance banking system that they operate, not us, they operate it. So they feed back into each other and they start to learn that process. And this particular lady, she couldn't wait to show me her veggie patch and 
from that baking factory that some chicken is in. And you've heard the story from the chicken that's got some chicken and some of the chicken that's got cows and so on. Now, to have one cow in Cambodia means that your relatives are pretty wealthy. Now, she started with nothing. But she couldn't wait to stay and eat her 10 cows. So she had 15. But out of it, um, out of the 15 cows, she sold five. And the reason she sold five is that uh, she could feed the cows. Yeah, I love the purple, don't you? Right? Yeah. And I'm really, 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 really a little bit disappointed because I, I didn't want to do it um, because she was very young. But I would have loved to have actually had shown you a picture of her old home. Now, my boys will know what I'm talking about. I built a pretty cool, uh, well, we just got to pop I just popped a little bit. We built this really cool cubby house in our house. I kept it. I know my kids sometimes used to play in there and have their little feet going to do what you know, kids do. And hopefully, it's not going to embarrass kids. But the thing is, their cubby house was probably better than the dwelling that you actually had. The other one was just a really tragedy. I've seen this all over the world. But she was just so proud to show me that this was her only soldier. We picked up the practice for the day. The other thing that we really need and I put this one in purposely, is because I've got a big palette of food, and you can buy a, you can buy a goat, you can buy pig, you can buy a cook, you can buy a veggie, and they go directly back into, if you nominate something, into that particular community project. You can even nominate a country, and we make sure that that actually happens. And by the way, everything we've got this for day um, is tax deductible. I forgot that at the Women's Conference last week, and they, um, and this guy, I actually mentioned, he also had a fish farm. Uh, this guy had everything done. And only seven years before, he had absolutely nothing. And that's the instrument that was the most important part of the program. I just threw this one up too, um, just as far as uh, another thing that we do do is the ethical fashion guy. And I know. Men, I'm not being sexist or anything like that, but I know most of the women will probably know what this is about. And this is another thing we do for our advocacy and catalyst wing, where we actually um, ask um, some hard questions of the retailers or the supplier of the wholesalers about how you paying things or the other one, do you even know? Now, before I was a pastor, I was a businessman, a CEO for an organization, and I was pretty high up, I was one of the buyers. One of the things I used to do each year is go and buy books, and I used to go into Shenzhen in uh, China. And I'd walk into like a 50 story skyscraper, and every level of those floors would be a thousand to two thousand people going in. And I'd go to this particular store where I would buy my gold jewelry, and um, I remember my first trip, I was dropped home. You walk in, there's mum, dad, grandma, grandpa. Uncles, funny children on the ground, drooling, sleeping, eating, everything happening there, whether you're working 12 hours a day or not. And until you see those things or understand those things, it's hard to actually sometimes comprehend because we hear so much, but that was one of the good ones. So, what we do in Baptist World Aid, I think God planted that in my mind so many years ago in preparation for this to talk about these things because. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we can actually have a, a say. We can make a difference here if the retailers that we shop to. And 
again, talk to me about that, but we, we make sure that we give them the right thing so you understand how they change their condition. Because not people losing their job, part of the deal is they actually get paid properly. They get it out of they get the job. So that's just another little thing that we do. Um, but if there was a need right now, and again, I got started off this thing, and I just want to say thank you to this church because you guys are amazing. You guys are so huge. But again, self-sponsorship is our greatest need at the moment. Since COVID hit, it's been very difficult. And, um, you know, to get the churches and to keep the programs running, uh, which we are doing, but there's so many children out there. So I'm going to leave it with that at the moment. Um, just again, thank you. Thank you to Mark. Um, very much so. And I'd love you to, if you've got any questions, just come up and ask me at the table at the end. I am Johnson, I am 14 years, I live in Uganda. This is Johnson's story. I live with my parents, two brothers and one sister, including my, my grandmother. My father works away. When he comes back home, we feel happy. Johnson loves his family dearly, especially his little brother. My brother is sick of epilepsy. I knew there was nothing to use for treating him and I knew that he would leave us. Imagine being worried for the life of someone you love and having no way to help them. But that was not the only weight on this young boy's shoulders. Life was difficult because I did not have any school fees and anything to eat. When there is no food, I have no energy to do something. When I don't have school fees, I try to go to school. Even though they send me, I come back. But then, something incredible happened. Johnson joined a child sponsorship project, and with the help of his Christian child sponsors, Stephen and Leanne, things began to change. Through the project, my brother was given a goat because he was identified among the children with disabilities. Johnson's family bred the goat and sold its kid to pay for his little brother's treatment. His mum also received farming training and began a small business selling vegetables. It helps me because he gets some money that he pays from his school fees. No longer is Johnson weighed down by worry for his brother. Instead, he has big plans to provide for his family's future. I would like to join a university after I become a teacher and I build for my parents a good house. When you sponsor a child like Johnson, it means freedom from poverty. So he can care for the family he loves, just as God cares for him. Thank you, Australia, for supporting us. Be part of an incredible story. Sponsor a child today. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, 
visit npbc.org.au.